This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Today we are discussing a very hard parasha, parasha Kitisa. It starts off on a very good note, but in the middle of it, it has the episode of the golden calf. And it's something which we have to discuss. How did it happen? How did these people who got the Torah 40 days earlier suddenly fall drastically? So what happened to cause their fall? That's number one we have to discuss. Number two is we have to discuss why did Moshe Rabbeinu break the tablets? Why did he have to smash them? Why could he just come down? And what he did was he ground up the golden calf and he made people drink it with water. And whoever sinned uh, passed away. They had terrible stomach pains. So why did he have to smash the tablets? That's number two. And number three, we find the most powerful prayer in the Torah is in this week's parasha. The most powerful formula for breaking bad decrees is in this week's parasha. So I want to spend some time, uh, not in the whole formula, it's, it's known as the 13 attributes of God, which we say, it's funny we say it every day. It's say it after the vidui in the mornings and after the vidui in the afternoons. So we say this 13 attributes. And I'm going to go into a little bit of those 13 attributes by Israel Hashem. So we can understand how God's attributes work, how God, he gives us mercy and we have to appreciate the mercy that he gives us. He gives us kindness and mercy every single day. And we have to appreciate it. And that's the way that Moshe Rabbeinu, one of the ways that Moshe Rabbeinu adopted to pray to Hashem for forgiveness. So the 13 attributes of God. So let's start off with, this is a beautiful sefer by the, he was the mashkiach of Mir Yeshiva, of Chaim Shmulevich. Unfortunately, he passed away uh, a couple of years ago. Um, but he was, uh, I was around when I was a, a young boy. And he was the Mashkiah from Mir. And he gave these beautiful drashot. And he has two different sections on this week's parasha where he gives reasons to how the Jewish people could sin so fast. And who says they sin so fast? And Hashem himself tells Moshe, go down. Go down. And so Rashi says, don't just go down the mountain. You are going to go down from your level of greatness. Why? Because your level of greatness is based on the greatness of the Jewish people. The leader's greatness is based on the leadership, on the level of the Jewish people. I heard a beautiful story once. There was a Hasidic Rebbe. And this Hasidic Rebbe would take a long time to pray on Shabbat. So can you imagine you're praying in a shul. And he takes an hour to pray in Musaf. And everyone is starving. They want to make Kiddush. So one day, one of the guys had an idea. He said, you know what? By the time we go down, make Kiddush and have something to eat. The Rebbe is still praying. He won't even notice. We'll come back after Kiddush. So they all went down to the Kiddush room and they all had a beautiful Kiddush. In the middle of the Kiddush, the Rebbe comes out. He says, where is everyone? Where is everyone? He said, Rebbe, what happened? Today, you only took 10 minutes. Usually you take an hour. He says, yeah, he says, my prayer is when I pray, I'm climbing the ladder up to heaven. And what, today I found that when I was climbing, the rungs started breaking. and started crashing downwards. So we have to learn from this story that the rungs of the ladder of our leaders is based on each one of us. We are the rungs of the ladder of the leader of the generation. Moshe Rabbeinu, leader of the generation, Hashem says, go down. You're going to go down from your level. Why? Because your level is based on the level of the Jewish people. Your level is based on the merits of the Jewish people. If they don't have merits, you also have to go down. So it's very important that we realize the leadership we get is based on our merits. And the more merits we have, the better the leadership. As Rabbi Hashem will get the leadership and keep good leadership. 
and our leadership should always be uh, high up there like Moshe Rabbeinu. But we find the Jews, Hashem tells Moshe, they went away from the way, you know, the, in, Jewish, in Jewish life, there's a way, there's a path in life. There's a whole book called Mesilat Yisharim by the Ramchal, Moshe Chaim Zato, who talks about the way in life, Mesilat Yisharim, the path of the just. We have to all realize that there's a path in Jewish life, path of the mitzvot, the path of halacha. That's, the, that's why halacha is called the way. Halichot olam lo. The path of life is his. Halacha is the way to God. Halacha is the way for a Jew. So Hashem tells Moshe, he says, Saru mahem They went, they left the way. They left the path to God. They went fast away from the path. What do they do? Asulahem egel masecha. They made for themselves a calf. A calf, which is a mask. Masecha is a mask, which we learn from the word uh, in Purim. A mask is uh, used. Masechot verashanim. It's a single on Purim. Masechot. People wear a mask. Today, unfortunately, we're all wearing masks. So what does it mean? The Jews made a mask. They made a mask of a cow. So commentaries say they didn't actually intend to serve idols. They just wanted a representation of God to lead them instead of Moshe. They thought that Moshe Rabbeinu was dead, and therefore they wanted a representation of God. They didn't actually mean to serve idols, but eventually it turned into idol worship. So the question is, what happened all of a sudden? Why did they sin so suddenly? Why did they fall from being the people of God at Mount Sinai? They just got the Torah. They just got the Ten Commandments. And now, 40 days later, they are in the lowest level. And idolatry. Idolatry is the lowest level that you can sink to. Idolatry is one of the worst things. We find three cardinal sins. Idolatry is one of the three cardinal sins. And a person's got to give their lives and not to serve idols. So how can the whole Jewish people serve idolatry? And the answer is, they didn't. It wasn't the whole Jewish people. It was mainly the Erev Rav, which is a mixed multitudes that came out of Egypt with the Jewish people. These are the people who converted, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was converting Egyptians or converting non-Egyptians in Egypt, a lot of slaves who also, they saw the miracles in Egypt and they also wanted to become Jewish. So Moshe Rabbeinu brought them out um, of, of uh, Egypt with the Jewish people. And that's why, Hashem says, the nation that you brought out, Moshe Rabbein, he's blaming Moshe for bringing these people out. Uh, not all of them were uh, sincere in their conversion, as we see today also. There's a big debate here in Israel. The high court just to recognize the different um, denominations, uh, uh, different kinds of denominations, their conversions, and there's a whole outcry over here, the chief rabbinate and all the religious parties that are debating. So that's the big question about the era of Rab. Who were they? Were they properly converted? Obviously, they were the first ones to sin, and they caused the others to sin. Now, Rashi says that in this week's parasha. So how could they get to this level of Abad Zara? That's our question. How could they sin so fast? 40, year, 40 days later, later, earlier, they were the people of God, and they, were, they saw all the wonders at Har Sinai, and before that, they saw all the wonders at the sea, and before that, they saw all the wonders at Egypt. And here, these people who saw all these wonders now are making an idol, now are making an Egel Masecha. They're making this mask to represent God. The Dor Hamidbar is known as Dor Hadea. The generation of the desert is known as a generation of brilliance, of knowledge, of knowledge of God. And now there's such a high level, and now all of a sudden they crashed. They crashed from this high level, and they crashed down to the lowest depths of of idolatry. So the question we have is how? So Chaim Shemalev says a very brilliant idea. He talks about the dangers of depression. 
there's a danger of being depressed, there's a danger of being sad, and in fact, a person can tell their own spiritual level by how happy they are. A person can tell who is on a high spiritual level by the level of happiness. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Uh, once I went to see Rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri. Rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri is one of the great Kabbalists. And his, his um, demeanor was always laughing and always smiling. He was always smiling and always laughing. And, you know, one day with his sons, I was there when his sons told him, you know, there's a fake Kabbalist down the road who's taking money from everyone. And they thought he was going to get angry and he's going to investigate who is this guy. Maybe he'll curse him out. His response was he, he burst into laughter. He burst into laughter because it was the best, the, the highest level a person can reach is to be happy. The highest level a person can reach in the service of Hashem. If do it Hashem, the simcha. When a person gets depressed, a person gives up hope, a person is meyayish. Yewish means he gives up hope. You know, we have a general idea the laws of lost objects when there's a person who finds a lost object when a person finds a lost object normally if it has a sign he has to give it back it has a siman has a sign on it it says someone's name obviously has to give it back but even if it has a sign which is unusual they have to go and find the owner they have to start announcing it they find every jewish newspaper they have a section of returning lost objects however it has no sign then the person can keep it only if there's enough time for the owner to be miyash. Miyash means he gives up hope on finding it. So say the, the Talmud says on money, a person always checks their pockets. So the time for keeping the money is very small time after a person lost it. But if you can see the person walking down the street, you see the money falling on his pocket and he hasn't touched his pockets yet, you can assume he has not given up hope. If he hasn't given up hope, you have to give back the money he lost. Anyway, it's good to give it back anyway, but I'm saying, but there's no sign and there's no, um, uh, and the person was definitely, he gave up hope. He said, I you know, hear him saying, you know, I'll never find this thing again, never had a sign. You can keep it halachically, you can keep it. Obviously, midat chasidut, if you want to be pious, you can give it back. But there's no obligation. So the same thing over here. A person gives up hope, a person's depressed. A person gives up hope. It's the biggest slide. It's the biggest slide for going down fast spiritually. It's the biggest slide for going down fast spiritually. And that's how Rav Chaim Smolevich explains the story of the golden calf. How could these people, after giving the Torah, that's one explanation of how they got the Torah. And he gives different examples of people who sinned because they gave up hope, because they got depressed. So I just want to go through some of the examples he gives. Very beautiful idea that we should try our best never to get depressed in our mm -hmm. lives. The person who believes in God never gets depressed. The person who's going to know everything is from Hashem. Hashem can give us strength. And you know the famous story, it says, the Ben Shai brings down the story of Shlomo Melech. So Shlomo Melech went to a goldsmith. I don't know if this story is true. It's one of the Midrashim that Ben Shai brings it down. He said, well, he went to a goldsmith and he said, listen, make me a ring that when I'm really high on happiness, it will calm me down. And when I'm really depressed, it will get me over it and make me happy. So the goldsmith said, there's no such thing. I can't make you a ring like that. I don't know how to do that. He goes from goldsmith to goldsmith, finally he finds a goldsmith to goldsmith and says, okay, I will make you a ring like that. Shlomo says, okay, when are you have it ready? So he has it ready in a, in a week. He comes back to the goldsmith, he gets this ring and he sees written on the ring, it says, even this shall pass. But going to know in life, everything passes. There's good days and there's bad days. There's a good economy and there's a bad economy. The stock market is up. 
and the stock market is down, everything goes up, everything goes down, and a person's got to keep their balance. So it's very important for a person to keep the balance in life, try and be uh, happy all the time, try and be smooth sailing all the time, not to change moods rapidly, go up and go down and go up and go down. And the way to do that is to remember all the time, even this, the worst scenario possible. A person has worst scenarios in life, hard scenarios in life, even this shall pass. And similarly, a person has bad scenarios in life, this will also pass. You see people, and that's why we have to show respect for elderly people, because they face the trials of life and they're still alive. We have to show, it doesn't matter who it is, it can be a non-Jew, it can be a Jew, it doesn't matter, they're over the age of 70, according to Shulchan Aruch, we have to stand up for them, we have to show respect, why? Because they survived the trials of life, just surviving the trials of life is a sign of emunah, a sign of faith in God, even if the person doesn't show any faith in God, for sure, they have faith in God, the fact that they survived so long, but uh, the Arizal says, even from the age of 60 upwards, you have to show respect. So he brings down the age. So the Shukranah says 70. Arizal says 60. You see a 60-year-old person today. People look so good. You don't know who's 60, who's 70. The 70-year-olds like the 50-year-olds. Uh, it's good to have white hair so people can stand up and show respect. So it's good. When I go on a bus in Israel, people start standing up for me. You know, they give me their seat. Oh, it's fantastic. It's good to have some white hair. It pays off. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so anyway, so why did, how can the Jews sin so fast? And the answer is depression. They gave up hope. They got depressed. A Jew should never give up hope. A Jew should never get depressed. We find a famous story. It says Hezekiah Melech, Hezekiah, the king, I think we discussed it a few weeks ago. He was uh, told by the prophet Yeshayahu that he's going to die. What does he do? He says, yeah, I have a tradition from my grandfather, David Melech, that even if the sword is at your throat, turn to the wall and pray. Us can break worst decree by prayer. So us should never give up hope. We never give up hope. Just through our prayers, we can break through the Gezira, we can break through the decree. And we see in this week's parasha, Moshe Rabbeinu, which we're going to talk about this, Rosh Moshe Rabbeinu broke this decree. God says, I'm going to destroy all the people, and you, Moshe, your children are going to be the Jewish people. There's not going to be any Jewish people left. Only you and your children are going to make a great nation out of you, Moshe. You're going to take over. Moshe Rabbeinu says, if you say that, Hashem, erase my name from your book. In fact, in last week's parasha, Tetzaveh, it's the only parasha since the birth of Moshe where his name is not mentioned, apart from parasha Shemot, where he doesn't mention his name, um, at the beginning at least. Uh, but Tzitzavay, there's no name no mention of Moshe's name. Why? Because like he said to God, he said, erase my name from your book. Hashem erased his name from parasha Tzitzavay as a consequence of this week's parasha. Anyway, we are discussing, so we are discussing Rav Shmulevich he says how depression is the danger. Depression is the danger. He gives different opinions over here. Different. Number one, he brings an example of Cain and Heber. Cain was an amazingly spiritual individual. How do we know? Because he was the one who invented this idea of giving back to God. He's the one who invented this idea of a korban, of bringing a gift to God. And Hebel imitated him. His brother Hebel, his twin brother Hebel, imitated him. And what happened was Hashem accepted Hevel's, uh, Abel's uh, sacrifice, and he never accepted Cain, Cain's sacrifice. And because of that, it says Cain got depressed. How do we know Cain got depressed? Because Hashem himself t- tells Cain, Cain, he says, Lama naflu panecha. Why did your face fall? What do you mean a person's face falls? We have a word in English, 
Why are you downcast? Why are you downcast? Why is your face down? It's interesting. When a person is happy, they're faced up. And that's why we pray to God. And Hashem's face shine up to you. Hashem's face is shining. That's a sign of uh, happiness. Uh, a person's face is shining. That's a sign of joy. Cain's face was depressed. Why was his face depressed? He's the one who invented giving to God. And his, his offering was not accepted. And his brother who imitated him, his, brother, his brother's offering was accepted. And his, the inventor's offering was not accepted. And therefore he got depressed. And he, in a fit of rage, he killed his brother. Terrible what depression can do. So a depression is a sign of low spiritual level. A person's going to try and not be depressed. A person's going to try their best not to get upset. A person's going to try their best not to get annoyed. A person's going to try their best not to get sad. A person's going to try and stay an even keel. Try and stay in equilibrium, which is very hard to do when a person is beset by all kinds of things going on around them. Listen, when I was a kid, I, I learned. I learned how to behave in hard situations, aggressive situations from two role models I had in my life. One of them was my cousin's husband, Alava Shalom, who was the president of our shul. You know, our shul was made up of Sephardim from the Far East, and they were very hot-tempered. They were very, extremely hot-tempered. And the president of the shul, who happened to be my cousin's husband, <laughs> he was very calm. He knew how to handle them. They would scream at him and shout at him and they'd say, scream more would just not get upset. No, nothing could get him. He never got upset. So that's, well, that's the way to deal with people. Deal with people is try not to get upset because you get upset, they get more upset. So it's very important to stay calm in all situations, even keel, which Cain unfortunately did not do. He got very upset, got very angry. In a fit of rage, he killed his own brother. It's hard to imagine what a person could do when they're depressed. So that's number one, Cain. Number two, the bigger diff. The Megadev was a person in the Bible, in the Torah, who curses God. Now, how can a person curse God? So the answer is, he never had a tribe to go to. He never had a tribe. Because he never had a Jewish father, and therefore he had never had a tribe. Every tribe he tried to join in the desert would throw him out. In Judaism, we go by the father for tribes. We don't go by the mother. No tribe was kind enough to accept him. And therefore, he goes to Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, goes to Beit Din, he says, listen, I want to be this tribe. My mother was this, this tribe. And uh, Moshe Rabbeinu says, sorry, the tribe goes by the father. They're right. You, know, you, you, know, you have no right to join this tribe. So now he is tribeless. He is tribeless. And therefore, yeah, curse his God. Curse his God. Made him tribeless. So that was a very devastating thing to do. Why? Again. He was depressed. He got very depressed. It's very important not to get depressed. Persons can go downwards rapidly, lose their spiritual heights in a state of depression. Number three. This is the story of Ruth and Orpah. You find Ruth and Orpah, the rabbis tell us, were two sisters. They were daughters of the king Eglon, Eglon Melech Moab. And they were married to two Jewish men, Machlon and Chelion, the sons of Naomi and Elimelech who had run away from the famine in Israel. Unfortunately, even though they were very wealthy, they didn't want to provide for the poor people in Israel. They ran away, they ran to Moab. And in Moab, these two individuals married two princesses, daughters of kings, very important people, Ruth and Orpah. And then what happens is the husbands die, the father-in-law dies, 
And Naomi says, I want to go home. I want to go back to Israel. I'm penniless. I'm destitute. I lost my husband. I lost my sons. I have nothing to hold me here in Moab. I want to go back home. And they both say, we'll go back with you. Please don't tell us not to go. And she tells them, don't come back. Don't come back. Finally, Ruth clings to Naomi and doesn't leave her. Whereas Orpah kisses her and goes by back. We find there's two kinds of relationships. There's a kissing relationship where the guy says, you know, my darling, see you later. Bye. And then there's a hugging relationship, clinging relationship where look, they don't want to leave each other. That's a clinging relationship. It's much better than a kissing, kissing relationship. So Orpah kisses Ruth and goes away. And Ruth stays with Naomi. Orpah goes home. What happens? I can't tell you. It's so disgusting. On the way back, it says she had relations with countless men. And she has a son called Goliath. Goliath. Her son's name is Goliath. She was so depressed. She went back and she did many sins on the way back. Because she fell. She fell and she fell. And she felt her spiritual level falling so rapidly. And she got depressed. That she had a son called Goliath, Goliath, who eventually fights the great grandson of Ruth, David, who was a young boy, and David beats him. Okay, thank God he beat him. But you see, two sisters on the way to conversion, and both uh, they both want to grow spiritually on very high levels. All of a sudden, one decides to go back to her roots and she falls spiritually. So we see how the spiritual fall can happen based on depression, based on feeling no worth, self-esteem, again, self-esteem. It's interesting, um, just recently, Rabbi, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tversky passed away. Big Sadiq, Big Sadiq. He wrote many books. He was a psychologist, psychiatrist, actually. He had a gateway rehabilitation center. He was uh, very interesting. He made a Kirush Hashem in the world because he was dressed like a religious Jew, and he was that one of the top people in drug rehabilitation. Amazing. He wrote many books. I think over 60 books, he says, if there's one theme that goes right through my books, it's the theme of self-esteem. A person has self-esteem, they have self-worth, they don't get upset so rapidly, they don't get hurt so rapidly, they don't get depressed so rapidly, it's very important. So when Orpah lost her self-esteem, when Cain lost his self-esteem, when the Megadeth, the person who cursed God, lost his self-esteem, when the Jewish people lost their self-esteem, that's when they rapidly fell, when they got depressed, they rapidly there's another example, which is the story of Shaul, King Saul. King Saul was the first king, unfortunately, unfortunate king. I call him the unfortunate king. He was the first king of the Jewish people. He was chosen by Samuel, the prophet. Hashem chose him. Uh, king Saul, the great King Saul, it says he did tremendous amounts of chesed. He was very wealthy. He would uh, pay the dowry of all the brides. People who were poor, they would come to him. He would, he would help everyone. Everyone he could help. He helped. He beat Sadiq, Shaul, Melech. But he failed. He failed in two things. Number one is he was making a war with the Philistines. And Samuel the prophet says, don't start the war till I come and I bring an offering to God. You know, Samuel takes his time. It was a test. Samuel takes his time. He sees the Philistines coming. He sees his army rapidly running away. He has no time, and he brings the offering. As soon as he brought the offering, Samuel shows up. Obviously, it was a test, and Samuel says, you failed. You should have waited for me to listen. Uh, the second test was he was meant to get rid of the Amalekites. We talked about this in the story of Purim, and he kept the king of Amalek alive. And, Shaul said, and, and Shemuel, Samuel the prophet, comes, and he says, that's it. Hashem will find someone better than you. You are a failure. You have failed. You 
you had uh, pity on Amalek, you listened to the people, you didn't listen to God, and you are gone. But we find that Shaul was interesting because Shaul knows he's gone. And yet, Shaul, and Shmuel says, you know, I'm leaving you. That's it. And Shaul pulls Shmuel's cloak. In fact, it rips. And Shmuel says, just like your coat ripped, my cloak ripped, Hashem is going to rip your kingdom away from you. Give it to someone better than you. And Shaul says, please don't leave me. Don't embarrass me in the eyes of the people. Please come with me one last time and show that, uh, you know, it still holds some respect for me and you come and we'll do this offering together last time. Please don't leave me in front of the people. Don't shame me. Don't embarrass me. So what is Shaul trying to do? He knew he was lost. He knew he lost the kingdom. And the answer is he didn't want to get depressed. He wants Shemuel's support. A last time to show dignity, to show him some esteem, show him some respect, so he won't get depressed. And when he doesn't get depressed, he's not going to go down all the way. He's not going to do something wild. So a very interesting idea. That was the, the, the root cause, according to Rav Shmulevich. One of the root causes of the Golden Calf episode was this idea of depression. Moshe Rabbeinu, the leader, was gone. They have no leadership. They're stuck in the desert. They don't know what to do. They have no idea when Moshe is going to come back, and they just got tremendously depressed and a fit of depression, they said, tremendously. There's another idea which he brings down, and that is, you know, he asked the question, you know, they saw all these miracles, they saw all these wonders. It says, the Midrash says that uh, the, the maid at the sea saw more than the prophet Ezekiel ben Buzi, Haskell ben Buzi, that was his name. Yehaskel ben Buzi, who was a Kohen, he was also one of the great prophets in the time of the destruction of the Second Temple. He was a prophet in Babylon. The rabbi said there's no prophecy outside Israel. The only exception was Moshe Rabbeinu. But how do you become a prophet in Babylon? Because his prophecy started in Israel. If you're a prophet in Israel, you can continue your prophecy even outside Israel. So Yehaskel ben Buzi, it says, the maidservant at the sea saw more than the prophet Yehaskel, Ezekiel. So how can it be? How could the maid at the sea, how can these Jews who saw so many miracles at the sea in Egypt, the 10 plagues on the Egyptians, they saw these wonders and miracles at Mount Sinai, they saw the manna coming down every day. How could they rapidly sin? So he says an amazing concept. He says that a person may witness amazing things, but it's not going to change them on the inside. A person can see, can be, can be exhilarated, see some things which are really exhilarating. You know, sometimes, you know, in the good days, we would watch a very interesting movie and a person would come out of it and say, wow, I'm really inspired by this movie. But how long does the inspiration of the movie last? You hear a good drasha. You go to the synagogue, you hear a good drasha, there's a rabbi there, give me a good drasha, and you're very inspired. But how long does inspiration last? So Rokhain never says, inspiration will not last long. What's on the outside of you, unless you bring it inside you, the inspiration is not going to last long. So here we have a very important concept. Let's just talk about it more in detail. That here are the people, they saw all these wonders and these miracles. And unfortunately, it didn't change who they were. didn't change their essence. How do you change your essence? How does a person change their essence? It's more than just a once-off experience. It's a daily experience. And it says, uh, Torah says, a person, the fire on the altar in the temple had to be continuous, had to be running continuously. And a coin who puts out the fire is liable. He's liable. I don't know what he's liable. The penalties. Why? Because the fire on the altar has to be continuous. 
you know, the rabbis explain, this is talking about the fire inside a person. The fire of enthusiasm inside a person must be continuous. Our fires, our spiritual energies must be a continuous spiritual energy. Don't put out your fire. Make sure your fire does not go out. It's not enough to witness certain wonders and miracles. A person has to change who they are in their essence. That's so hard to change who a person really is. The Vilnagon says that's our mission in life. Our mission in life is change who we are to perfect our midot, to perfect our own traits, our character traits. So a person can witness great events, but doesn't really change who they are. For example, a very radical example, Bilam ben Beor. Bilam is called Bilam Harasha, Bilam the prophet, who came to curse the Jews at the behest of Balak, the king of Moab. On the one hand, he was a prophet. He saw these wonders. He saw he could speak to God. God would speak to him. But it didn't change his ego. It didn't change who he was. So we find that a person can be can see different things. Some people are inspired, but the inspiration does not last unless a person brings it into them, makes it part of who they are. So a person can see the wonders and miracles of the manner every day. Listen, we see wonders and miracles every day. Only trouble is, the wonders and miracles are natural. You know, we, we think miracles are only if they're unnatural. But we see the sun rising every day. We see, this, we see gravity. We see uh, the clouds. We see rain. We see grass growing. These are wonders and miracles of our lives. These are wonders and miracles of our lives that we have to appreciate and we have to internalize. There's a God in the world. There's a God in the world every day that keeps the world going. And that's why we have all the morning blessings. That's why in, in the blessings before the Shema, we talk about light, he created darkness. He renews the world in every single day. So that's the second different idea. So the first idea was there's a thing called, unfortunately, depression. Depression is the fastest way to lose one's equilibrium. It's the fastest way to lose one's spirituality. A person should try their best not to get upset, a person try their best not to get angry, a person try their best not to get depressed. That's the main thing, not to get depressed. Uh, the root cause of all sin is sadness and depression. That's the root cause of all sin. We have to try our best to be happy, try our best to thank God for the good things in our lives. Always look for something good. Always The cup is always half full. We always have to look for the good things in life, stay positive. A positive person will never fall rapidly. They may fall, we all fall but will never fall rapidly. They never get to the lowest level of idolatry because they're positive. Hashem will help them in this situation. Even this will pass. And number two is if we don't, we don't internalize. If we don't internalize what we see, the inspiring things we see around us, we don't internalize the inspiring things around us. Nothing inspiring can change who the person is. They may see it, and they'll say, wow, it's amazing. And then the next day, they'll forget. 40 days earlier, they got the Torah. They saw these wonderful sights at Mount Sinai. They were scared stiff. They see God's presence, whatever that means. And they're scared stiff. But 40 days later, this wears off. You know, we have uh, tremendous powers to forget. <laughs> Every human being, you know, especially when we get to certain ages, we forget. We forget sometimes important things. We forget phone numbers. Well, today, no one remembers phone numbers anymore because uh, we all have phones that remember our phone numbers and our memories are like muscles the less you use the muscle the muscle uh, gets weaker and weaker our brains are like muscles and our memories are like muscles we have to use our memories, we have to use our brains keep the muscle going 
Similarly, we don't remember the wonders and miracles every single day. Trouble is, we have to picture them every single day. We have to picture these miracles every single day. Rav Avigdor Miller talks about remembering and picturing the miracles so that the maidservant saw at the sea all the wonders and miracles of the crossing of the sea, but she doesn't remember them. She doesn't replay them in her mind every single day. You know, every day we have this 10 mitzvot of remembering different things that happened. And one of them is the crossing of the sea, the manna. We have to remember these things, Shabbat. We have to remember these things every single day and try and replay them in our minds. When I think of the manna, I think of how Hashem provides, you know, physical sustenance to me personally. How I survived, you know. How I survived. I remember myself as a little kid with nothing, with zero. With, uh, we were paupers. We were raised in a very basic uh, and when I think of, thank God, how Hashem provides, how Hashem provides, we have to thank God every single day. We play these ideas in our heads to, to bring to the fore how grateful we are to Hashem. A person remembers these things every single day, replays them. They will change who they are. But we don't replay these things every day in our heads, even though we see them and we witness them. You know, but it's just memory and that's it. They're part of our memory banks, but they're not replayed every day. They're not going to really leave an impact on us. In fact, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, who devised, who started the Musa movement. He started the Musa movement, he says a person's got to spend at least 10 minutes every day learning Musa. So someone asked him once, he said, uh, Rabbi, he says, if I have no time to learn Torah, what should I learn? I only have 10 minutes a day. He said, if you learn Musar, you learn ethics, you learn these uh, Musar Sfarim, these uh, books of Musar, you'll find you have more time to learn Torah. So it's very important to learn Musar, but the biggest Musar is the Torah itself. We learn Torah, we learn these stories, we have to take Musar. One of the Musar we learn from the story of the Golden Calf is how rapidly the person can fall from the heights of spirituality. Rapidly. You know, the, the Mishnah said, person should not believe in themselves till the day of their death. What does that mean? Even the day of the death, they shouldn't believe in themselves until they're gone. And they're gone, and Hashem puts his stamp of approval, his good housekeeping stamp of approval on the person. That's when a person could say, you know what, I did a good job. But before that, while they're still alive, no one knows. No one knows what they're going to do. No one knows what tomorrow's going to bring. And that's why we have to keep our emunah. We have to build up our emunah. We have to keep our simcha. We have to keep our faith in God and our level of joy. Keep it going. And we must never, never forget all these miracles and wonders that Hashem did for us. Because when we replay them, we are building up our emunah. And the problem is that these people who saw these miracles forgot them. Very rapidly, 40 days later, they were forgotten. Forgotten. So a person's got to make the events in their lives. Listen, we, I saw the Six-Day War. That was a massive miracle. But I think, you know, the Yom Kippur was, was an even greater miracle. Why? Because there were four tanks on the Golan Heights at one time against hundreds of Syrian tanks. Tremendous miracle. Tremendous miracle. It's a tremendous miracle. So these are miracles that we see in our own day. We have to remember them. Hashem does miracles for us. We must never give up hope. Jews must never give up hope. There's a Holocaust. And then we have the birth of the state of Israel. Never give up hope. Jews must never give up hope. Must never get depressed, even though we see these things and, and we get depressed. Unfortunately, we get depressed. We should never get depressed to the point where we lose our emunah. We lose our faith in God. Because Gamze Yavor Hashem has, it can make a rabbit out of a hat. He'll get the <laughs> supreme magician. Things are bad and suddenly things become good. Gamzu tova, you know, the Shukran brings down as a halakha. He says, we have to say this line that Rabbi Akiva made famous. 
Whatever God does is for the best. We have to find the good things that God does in the bad. There's good things that come out of it. We don't know what the good things will be. Whatever God does, whatever God does will be for the best, will be good. As Rabbi Hashem will see goodness in our lives. So as people can see miracles. And I just want to give one more example that Hashem brings down. And that is the example of Yeravam ben Nevat. Yeravam ben Nevat. He was one of the heads of the Sanhedrin in the time of King Solomon. Shlomo Merch, brilliant man, brilliant. He knew the whole Torah, he knew thousands of laws by heart. He was one of the few leaders of Israel who protested when Shlomo Merch broke Jewish law by having too many wives and too much money and too many horses, and he protested. And because of that, Shlomo Merch made him run away to Egypt. He had to run away to avoid being killed by Shlomo Merch. And Hashem says, you know what? You're a woman of You're the one who protests against Shlomo. The 10 tribes are going to break away from Shlomo's son, Havam, and you are going to be the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, the 10 tribes of Israel. And you know what Yeravam bin Levat does? He institutes golden calf worship again, second time in our history. He institutes three golden calves in the mountains of Israel. He didn't want the Jews to go back to the temple three times a year. Because in the temple, they'll see the king of Judah sitting down. Only one person was allowed to sit down on the bed of Mikdash in the temple, the king of Judah. And they'll say, he's the real king and not Yeravon ben They'll rebel against him. He instituted calf worship. So what happens is Hashem tells one of the prophets to go and rebuke him. Where does the prophet go? He goes straight to one of the golden calves and he sees Yeravon ben himself is offering offerings to this golden calf, the idolatry. And when the Yeravon ben sees the prophet, he recognizes him, he tells his man, he points to the prophet, and he says, guys, he tells his troops, arrest this man. And immediately his hand is stuck, can't move, and it starts withering, his hand starts withering. And what happens is that with all that, he's serving the prophet, the idol, and instead of praying to the idol, what does he say? He, he says to the prophet, please, I Pray to God for me to heal my hand. Now, it's interesting because he didn't pray to the idol because he knows the idols are useless. He prays to God to heal his hand, which is serving idolatry. And the prophet's prayers were accepted. His hand goes back to normal. And what does Yeravon Benavat do? He goes back to serving the idol. In other words, he saw this miracle. He knows who the true God is. And he goes back. It didn't change who he was. It didn't change his essence. We have to learn how these miracles change our essence. We have to learn Musar. We have to internalize these lessons. The people of Israel did not internalize these lessons. I want to move on to Moshe Rabbeinu on Mount Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu is on Mount Sinai. Hashem tells him, you know, go down from the mountain. The nation that you brought out of Egypt have sinned. They've made this Egel Masecha. They've made this calf. And Moshe Rabbeinu, and I'm going to erase their name. I'm going to wipe them out. And you are going to inherit them. So Moshe Rabbeinu prays. So it says, number one is, Hashem taught him the 13 attributes. Hashem taught him the 13 attributes of God, which Moshe Rabbeinu is now going to use. Why? How does he know that he can pray to avert the decree? Because Hashem said, let me be, and I will erase this nation. Let me be. So from learning, he learns out from these words, let me be, that it's possible to not let God be. Hashem already gave him the intro. Let me be, and I will, I will destroy this nation. So Moshe says, oh, if I don't let him be, if I pray, he's not going to destroy. He's going to break the decree. So Moshe Rabbeinu starts praying. What does he pray? How does he pray? So number one is, 
he mentions the merit of the forefathers, which is very critical, which we start off our Amida, we start off our prayers every day, three times a day with this paragraph, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have merits of the forefathers. Bezrat Hashem, the merits of our forefathers are still standing for us today. And we are now in Israel. Bezrat Hashem, Israel will grow, destroy our enemies. Bezrat Hashem, all the Jewish people will come back. Why? Because of the merits of our forefathers. Merits of our forefathers, Abraham and Sabiyako. So much I've been praised in the merits of the forefathers. He promised them they're going to go into the land of Israel. These people, they're children of the forefathers. You have to keep your bargain with the forefathers. That's number one. Number two is he uses the idea of Chilun Hashem, of desecrating God's name. He said, Hashem, how can you desecrate your own name? Because the nations will say, especially the Egyptians will say, God took them out of Egypt, but he never had the power to bring them into Israel. And that's why he destroyed them. So in other words, um, you are going to cause a desecration of your own name by destroying the Jewish people. In fact, when anything bad happens to Jewish people, it's automatically a desecration of God's name. And we have to pray to God, please, Hashem, don't desecrate your own name. By what the nations say, it's a very powerful argument to God. What will the nations of the world say? Where is your power, Hashem? That's number two. Number three, Moshe Rabbeinu uses the secret of the 13 attributes of God. So I'm not going to go into the 13 attributes. It's a different class. It's a five-hour class, five parts, 13 attributes. Very, very important class. I'm going to start off with just two words. Before the 13 attributes, we say, Hashem, Hashem! And by the way, I'm meant to make a break. Hashem, break. There's a pasik over there, which is a line, which is like hitting a, a solid wall. Pasik, hitting a solid wall. You've got to stop. Hashem. Hashem. El, Rachum, Vechanun, Erech, Apayim, Rav Chesed, Ve'emet, Notzer Chesed, Lanafim, Nosea, Avon, Vafesha, Vechata, Venakim. 13 attributes of God. Most people say that Hashem, Hashem is not even part of the 13 attributes. So we're going to talk about these two words, Hashem, Hashem. Why is Hashem's name repeated twice? Before we say 13 attributes. So this is a beautiful class, which is based on Rabbi Victor Miller. I love Hashem. By the way, Rabbi Victor Miller was um, my mother's favorite rabbi. She would always have his tape. She would buy every tape he produced. And if she was in London, he was in America, in New York. And she would listen to his tapes. And I would go to see her, visit her. She always has his, her tapes, his tapes on the shelf. She was always playing his tapes in the old cassette machines. Do you remember those in uh, no MP3s in those days? And when she came to America, she said, please take me to see Rav Victor Miller. I want to see him because I've heard so much. I've heard his classes. I want to see who he is. I read his books. So I take her to Brooklyn. And guess what? Here is Rav Victor Miller walking home. I found him outside his house. He's going home. And I said, please, Rav Victor Miller, can you give my mother a bracha? She came from far away. She listens to all your classes. And of course, he gave her a bracha. He was very, very uh, kind and very gracious, and he gave her a bracha. That's Rav Victor Miller. So this is an idea from Rav Victor Miller. The idea, why does it say Hashem's name twice? Before the 13 attributes, how does it introduce the 13 attributes by saying Hashem's name twice? And this name Hashem is, I can't say it, it's Yud K Vav K. So I'm substituting a K instead of the He. Okay, so it's Yud K Vav K. And, you know, the J witnesses, they pronounce it with a J, which is wrong. It's also called the Shem HaMifarash. It's called the explicit name of God, which Jews are not allowed to say. We use the word Aleph Dalet Nun Yud Adnut, 
instead of Yud Kevavke, we never express it the way it's written. We're not allowed to say it the way it's written, because Hashem told Moshe Har Sinai when he first appeared to him, Shemi Le'olam, this is my name, the rabbi says, missing a vav, doesn't mean forever, Le'olam usually means forever, it's Shemi Le'alem, this is my name to be hidden. But the other name of Adnud is the one you have to mention. So when we pray, we say, Baruch Atta Amonai. I can't even say it, I don't say it. So <laughs> I put an M in there instead of a Dalit. So you're not allowed to say it for no reason. It's, but it's instead of Yud Kevavke. So it's written Yud Kevavke, but it's pronounced Amonai. Why? Yud Kevavke is a Shema Mefarash. It's the name of God, which you're not allowed to say. And however, so over here we say Hashem's name twice, Amonai, Amonai, but it's written Yud Kevavke. The rabbis tell us, Yud Kevavke stands for three things. Haya Hove Vihye. God is above time. He was the same way as he is, the same way as he will be. God is unchanging. What it means unchanging? Hashem never changes, even though the Torah says the hand, the face, the back, he's not visible, he doesn't have a back, he doesn't have a body, he's unchanging, he's immutable, he doesn't have really have traits, the Rambam says, all these 13 attributes are for us to imitate. But it's not, God has no traits, God has no vehicle that we can understand. So these are things that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote down for us to emulate. We have to emulate these 13 traits. Anyway, why start off with God's name? The answer is, Yudke Vavke is the name of God of mercy of kindness we have to understand in our lives Hashem is the God of kindness he's the God of mercy so why do we say it twice and why is there a break in between so the rabbis tell us God is the God of kindness before the sin and God is a God of kindness after the sin that's amazing concept amazing concept that a person before the sin is treated with kindness and a person after the sin is also treated with kindness how do we understand that? Because the Bible, the Torah itself tells us, you know, Adam Rishon sinned and he was thrown out of Gan Eden and he was punished. So how could it be the same God of kindness before the sin and after the sin? Find many cases of people who are punished after they sin. Um, we find the Erevon Ibn Abab. He talked about the first king of Israel. He lost his kingdom three generations later because of his sins. So why is it the same God of kindness before and the same God of kindness after? So this is, a beautiful story from Rabbi Avita Miller. He says, exactly, to imagine a person who's healthy all his life and then he eats everything. His wife brings a beautiful food, delicious food. Then all of a sudden he has a stomach ailment. And the doctor says, you know, you're not allowed to eat these, these things. These things are bad for your stomach. And they cause you all kinds of pain and, and bleeding and all kinds of things. You have ulcers and therefore you have to eat a special diet. And now the same wife who gave, provided him with everything starts giving him different kinds of foods, more bland, uh, more uh, different kinds of food. And um, he tells his wife, I thought you loved me. What happened? Why are you changing my food? She says, wife said, I love you. And the same love I had before for you is the same love I have for you now. I'm just trying to look after you because the doctor says you're not allowed to eat the same things. So same thing. Ravikamila says, Hashem loved us before the sin. And Hashem loves us after the sin, but our diet has to change. Because of the sin, we got sick spiritually, and therefore the way he treats us, which is comparable to a diet in life, has to change in order to heal us. So it's all for kindness. It's all kindness to get us to heal. It's, it's, so when a Jew is very ill, Halila, his relative rushes to the nearest synagogue and asks the congregants who are standing there to say a special prayer, they don't just say Tehillim, they don't just say Psalms, they say this special formula 
that we say every day, sorry, we say it every day, twice a day, these 13 attributes of God, Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rahul, Bechanun, these 13 attributes, which are the prayer of Moshe Abedu after the golden calf to protect the Jews from being destroyed. Uh, so what is these two names of God that both exist? So we mentioned God's name. So the name is God exists. He's above time. He's unchanging. Plus, he's the God of kindness. He is the Midat Chesed. Hashem has the attribute of kindness, of kindness. So whatever he does in the world, it's always a Midat of kindness. Hashem, Mala, Mala Haaretz. Hashem, the Chesed of Hashem. We say this every Friday night. Chesed Hashem, Mala Haaretz. The kindness of Hashem fills the world. It's a world of kindness. This world is a world of kindness. How do we know this world is a kind of kindness? Just look around you. Unfortunately, we walk on the streets every day. When we walk on the street, you don't really see God's handiwork. You see man's handiwork. You see the, t- the tiles on the floor. But if you walk on the grass, you see God's handiwork. You see the earth, you know? The earth is amazing. You know why the earth is amazing? Soil is a tremendous gift. There's nothing like it. It's a marvelous material almost unmatched among all the chemical combinations. I say chemical. The truth is the soil is more alive than inanimate. There are more living creatures in one spoonful of soil. This is hard to imagine. There are more living creatures in one spoonful of soil than there are human beings in all of greater New York. Earth is filled with functional organisms, millions of bacteria, billions of bacteria, fungi, ants, earthworms. The armies of Hashem all working together to produce food for us. You have to understand. The earth is producing food for us. How does it produce food for us? Number one, it produces grass. Grass is eaten by cows and we drink their milk, we eat their butter, we eat their cheese and we eat their meat. Grass, just from grass from the earth. We all our clothes, if they're not synthetic, they're made from the earth. They're made from grass, basically. Why? Because the sheep eat the grass. And we get their wool and the uh, silkworms. They eat leaves, which comes from the soil, and they make silk. And cotton is, is grown in the earth. So all the clothing, even the synthetic clothing, is made from oil, which is part of the earth. So we have to thank God for the miracle of the earth. We have miracles all around us, which we don't appreciate. Maybe a person who's an environmentalist, an ecologist, Will appreciate these things, but maybe they don't even appreciate it because they see it every day. We say we get used to it. Everything we see every day, we see miracles every day. After 40 years of, of seeing manna fall every day, we just took it for granted. It's only when it stopped. Every day they got water from the well of Miriam, and they only complained when it stopped, but they never said thank you when they had it. So it's very important to say thank you. And we have to realize the beauty of God. We have to realize the miracles of God, all the miracles of God are products of his kindness. That's Hashem. Hashem, he's kind before a person sins. And what's amazing is he's kind after a person sins. He's a God of kindness. So uh, when we see rain, you know, most people complain. You know, I was once, <laughs> when I was a visitor in Yushalayim, I was walking through the streets of Yushalayim. Now, when it rains in Yushalayim, you know, Yushalayim is all very hilly. When it rains and you go into all these old neighborhoods where the drainage is not so good, and you're standing on the lower part of the hill, you'll see avalanches of water down them, down them. Boy, I'll tell you, the first time I saw it, I was, I was standing outside a store. I, was, I can't remember, I was inside the store. No, I was outside the store, and I go inside looking for an umbrella. It's pouring with rain. And I say, boy, it's really raining. And the storekeeper said, don't, no, don't, don't complain, don't complain. We're praying for rain every day. We need this rain. 
So it's important to know rain is chesed, really. Obviously, it's not mapul, but it's not a flood, but it's rain is chesed, especially in Israel. We know when the Kinneret is full, God is showing his kindness. We'll see a lot of kindness in our lives. And we, we, God is the God of kindness. Rain is kindness. Clouds are kindness. A person's going to run for joy and be happy when he sees it raining. Today it was raining in Israel, Baruch Hashem. It's fantastic. And sun is also kindness. You see the, the sun of God. You see the heat and the, and the warmth of the sun. It's beautiful. So the question is, what does it mean? Hashem is the God of kindness before the sin. Hashem is the God of kindness after the sin. It's the same name. So the rabbis in the, in the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah 17b were very perplexed. How can Hashem, Hashem, be the same word? How can it be before the sin, after the sin? So and the answer is, it's not anger which Hashem uses to guide the world. It's kindness. It's just a different kindness. It's like the kindness of when you go to a surgeon. And unfortunately, we should never be able to go to a surgeon. We go to a doctor for medication. And the doctor gives a person a bit of, bit of medication. It's not because the doctor hates the person, because the doctor wants to be kind. And therefore, same thing, Hashem is the God of kindness before, Hashem is the God of kindness after, he just wants a person to do shuva. he wants a person to heal themselves spiritually, and Bezrat Hashem, the spiritual healing will lead to physical healing, so we are a totality, what's it called, this idea today, it's, um, we are a totality of uh, body, of soul, of mind, all these things are totality, every human being is a quadrinity, the body, the soul, the intellect and the emotions, the body, the soul, the intellect, the emotions. When everything is behaving properly, everything is in sync and uh, everything will work functioning properly. But if things go out of whack, then people, people get sick and people get hurt and people are not functioning properly. We have to work on these four things, four areas of our lives, the body, the soul, the mind, and the emotions. The body, the soul, the mind, and the emotions. And just recap, so Rebbe Haim says, it's the emotions that cause this massive fall from the heights of spirituality to lows, to lows of spirituality. So, uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's emotions. A person got depressed. Kind got depressed. The person who cursed God got depressed. Orpah got depressed. And then left, it led to rapid decline. Spiritual rapid decline. So the emotions, the mental state is very important for a person's self-esteem. The body and the soul. He said the spiritual side of a person makes a person happy or, or sad. You find many people who have everything in life and they commit suicide. They have everything going for them in life. We talked about this on Purim. Haman is like Adam and Sean. Whenever I see the Jew, I have everything. I have money, I have power, I have everything. When I see the Jew, Mordechai not bowing to me, he doesn't move for me. Whatever I have, calls the Whatever I have is worth nothing. So it's a mind, it's a mind frame. We have to always thank God for the kindness of life. We see the earth under our feet. It's blooming. We see the rain overhead. It's blooming. We see the sky, beautiful blue skies in Yushalayim with the sun shining. We have to thank God. All these things are kindness. We have to appreciate God's kindness. We see miracles in our lives. The state of Israel, after 2,000 years of <laughs> amazing, 2,000 years of exile, Jews coming back every day. Despite the corona, Jews came back from South America. 40 Jews are waiting for a long time to come back, and they came back yesterday. There's Radishev, the exile, exiles, exile people from coming back from all over the world. We will see wonders and miracles, and we have to appreciate that a person has choices in life. We can grow in spirituality, and we can fall rapidly. Let's choose to grow together. There's Radishev, all of us, and hopefully Hashem will do miracles for us as he did in the past, and we will survive, and we will uh, grow.
I wish you all a Shabbat Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.